I'm I'm incredibly excited about where things are going to go. You know, there's going to be valuation pressures, but in the end, great companies will continue to get funded. And that's I mean, firmly believe that. And early stage Series A companies will continue to get funded because that's how you know these investors differentiate themselves from their from the LPs that are investing in their funds by getting involved with really cool Series A and seed companies and getting that ownership because that's that's really important to them. So I don't see much of a downturn in Series A or overall in the investment sector. It's going to be another you know, pretty good year. And now from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute. The Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. For a lot of our listeners, a good year in the health tech market can make the difference between success and failure. And that's why knowing the market and predicting the market is so important. So, backed by popular demand, our guest today is John Norris. John knows the health tech investment market so well. He is the managing director at Silicon Valley Bank, and he has over 20 years of banking experience working with healthcare companies and VC firms. Here's our conversation. Well, welcome, John. Thanks for joining me this morning. And for our listeners who can't really see uh, the video here, um, I just want to describe it a little bit. I'm here in my living room and John is sitting in his Tesla uh, taking this call. You know, you got to do what you got to do, but I'm, I'm super excited to be here, Christine. Thank you. Oh, thanks for joining us. You know, I'm glad that things must be really busy. You're in the move all the time. Um, but I'm so glad to have you back again and uh, for you to share about a lot of the things that you learned from 2021 uh, that you did on your report. Um, maybe before we start, you can tell us a little bit about how the genesis of the report, like what it takes to get this report out, and then we can go deep dive about the report itself. That sounds great. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this certainly is a labor of love. I've been doing this, you know, it, it started around 2009 or so. Um, you know, it's just, it was gathering data with the recession sort of in hand, trying to figure out which companies and which investors and which partners have been successful. And we were trying to predict sort of where fundraising was going to go and who was going to survive and who wasn't. And we gathered all this information and all of a sudden people realized, hey, this is really helpful and practical and, and focused on the venture healthcare landscape. So we should be you know, sharing that with the broader community. So that's kind of the genesis of it. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, again, it takes a lot of time, but we love doing it. And if you sort of think about it from the investment side, we're leveraging a lot of the data from PitchBook, but then we're grabbing that data and we're doing our own analysis and looking at all those financings and saying, is this healthcare or not? And if it is healthcare, what sector should it be in? And then within those sectors, what are the either indications or subsectors that it should uh, should be placed into? And so it really allows you to craft these companies together in sort of peer groups to understand what sort of trends we're seeing out in the market. And then we're then sort of balancing that with what we're seeing on the exit side with M&A and IPOs and getting a full sense of with the venture dollars that are being raised, how are they being deployed and what type of exits are we seeing out there? So 
know, that's kind of the, the, the genesis of the report and the background of the data. And it's really fun because it obviously, you know, my job, I'm interacting with venture folks on a daily basis. And this data obviously helps inform me as to what's going on in the market and allows me to sort of think about, you know, based on historical data, what are the trends that, that are happening now and what's going to happen in the future? And obviously, I, I'm, I'm a lot of times wrong about that, but at least it's data informed. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a good thing. So anyway, that's, that's the sort of genesis of the, genesis of the report. And I'm sure a lot of the ventures uh, use your report quite a bit to understand the landscape and the future. Um, maybe can tell us about to our listeners about how does the venture use your report? Yeah, so you know when you sort of think about the investors, I when I think about investors, you know, obviously these are very smart folks. Uh, a lot of them have been doing it for a long time, but. When I think about their time allocation, I feel like I use the, the yeah, I, I think about it like this. So, you know, investors are sort of focused on their trees, which are their existing portfolio and the new deals that they're doing. And sometimes they just lack the ability to, to spend time to understand what the forest looks like. And so that's what I sort of think about my job is really on the forest side to give them those emerging trends. But you know, they're, one, they're using this a lot of times when they're fundraising, with their going out with their new fund. They're leveraging a lot of this data to help set the stage for what the market looks like and the activity there, as well as sort of showing how their thesis fits into where the dollars are being allocated. And then they're also using it um, with their LP meetings because it sort of gives people a broad perspective, especially the LPs that are in multiple funds, but you know, are are, are maybe not as um, in the day-to-day as the investors are, a sense of what's going on in the market. And then the third part is actually within specific deals. And when they're doing due diligence, a lot of times I'm helping them sort of think through you know, what, what those peer groups look like for potential deals and, and talking about where valuations are going, the roles of different investors, like crossover investors getting involved in the late stage, et cetera. So I'm helping them think through that. So it's really um, you know, this data really helps me fashion those relationships and build those relationships with the investors. It's really, you know, it it it, it allows me to sort of get on a, on a on a peer basis with those folks, so that not only are they helping me out by you know working together on the banking side, I'm helping them out on their investment thesis and deploying capital side. So it's it's a really great way for me to to you know for both of us to add value to each other. Yeah, that's great. And so as entrepreneur. What would you think that the benefit of ha- having uh, understanding this report from their point of view? Yeah, I think you know one is getting a broad sense of capital in the market and how that's being deployed into the sector in which you're operating, but also into the subsectors and/or indications, depending. Like, for example, if you're a medical device company that has a non-invasive monitoring technology, to understand the type of dollars that are going into that and who's investing into those deals and what sort of valuations we're looking at, as well as where the exits are happening, it allows you to get a good sense of the market. So especially if you're an early stage company, to try and balance out how much capital do I really think I need to get to exit? What do those exits look like? And then how can I make that a compelling investment for investors to want to invest? Because in the end, the investors are looking for a certain return. And based on the amount of capital that you're you're looking to raise and what your exit looks like, that's how they sort of back into whether it's it's sort of a feasible investment for them or not. So 
a lot of the data that's in this report can be valuable to one, get a sense of where the dollars are going, but two, balance that to the exit side and really get a sense of one, competition in the market, but two, how you want to position your company uh, when you're talking with investors, as well as understanding what that next set of investors might look like that are going to invest in your company. Yeah, well, that's great. So let's dive into the report. And with the current market volatility, today I just saw like the Dow just dropped again. You know, sometimes you forgot when you you got the bad news. It's like, oh gosh, the whole world just crumples. But maybe you can tell us a little bit the highlight from 2021 on the health tech side and the device side. Sure. And maybe I'll start a little bit, you know, broader. If you just look at the the dollars invested into companies in 2021, and I look at that at uh, both U.S. and Europe. Um, you know, 2021 was a record to beat all records. If you think about within context of dollars being invested into health healthcare companies that are venture backed, 2020 was the record which had beaten 20, 2019. And so 2020 was around $53 billion invested into healthcare companies in the U.S. and Europe. 2021 went up to $86 billion, so a huge increase in dollars. And it was really led by, I would say, you know, biopharma and health tech. And health tech really had significant increase in investment in that, in that area. Um, and device uh, also was very steady and also had a record amount of capital invested. So 2021 really was a year of records for invested capital into companies. And it was, it was interesting to see that it was being led not only by your traditional venture investors, but you're seeing a lot of folks that were, were not your normal traditional venture investors, either private equity or hedge funds or sovereign wealth or even you know, LPs from venture funds that were really getting into the act and being aggressive investors into venture-backed companies. And I think that really helped push dollars invested to, you know, a a record high. But I would say if you've also balanced that for traditional venture fundraising, that also saw a record amount of fundraising. The previous record was, you know, $16 just in the U.S. for healthcare investing. That was in 2020. And in 2021, that went up to $28 billion. So a lot of capital in the market to be invested into companies and the, and folks were investing. They were investing at a very aggressive pace. So 2021 really was a year of, of record investment um, across all four sectors that I cover. And so do you think that, uh, maybe you can go deeper dive in terms of like you mentioned about, there's like a lot of unicorns happening in the health tech, especially in 2021. Maybe you can touch on that. Yeah, um, you know, especially so when I just when I describe unicorn, and most people think about it this way, it's it's when you have a private company that achieves a, a post money valuation of a billion or more for the first time, right? And so um, if you have ones that continue to raise money and they still are are above a billion dollars, that's a unicorn. But when I was looking at, it, I was like, how many first time unicorns were created on a yearly basis? And if you look at 2020. Especially, let's look at health tech just as as an example. Um, there were nine new unicorns in 2020 created um, in health tech, but if we look at 2021, it was 42. So a huge jump 
in these large rounds at large valuations in health tech. And a lot of those were led by, you know, folks like Tiger Global and SoftBank. And again, you know, these are larger funds that see opportunity with really compelling, excellent technologies and great teams. But how are they going to get into those investments? They're going to get in by writing big checks at big valuations. And so we did. We saw a lot of that in 2021 and sort of the creation of these unicorns. Really, it was it was amazing to see so many companies now that are valued at over a billion dollars. And you see them they doing also the IPO market. And so, of course, the market now is not so great, but you see there's a lot of declining in the value of the post-IPO. And do you see that is because of the overvaluation or just the market self-correcting itself these days? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, but I do think, you know, valuations are way ahead of the progress of the company, um, especially over the last couple of years and especially in health tech. And that's not to say that these companies can't hit those valuations and sort of grow into it. But I think because of all the competition in the market and the excitement of these larger later stage investors coming in, that what we've seen is that you know these, these companies are getting very, very aggressive valuations. And when you try and leverage that into getting into the public market, we, we've seen less than spectacular results there. And so it's a very interesting time where you have a lot of these companies that have, you know, billion dollar plus valuations, um, but they also have a lot of cash in the bank. And so the question is, what are they going to do? How are they going to grow into their valuation? And what are they, what's going to happen when the next round comes along if it's not an IPO? And and how are they going to be thinking about financing themselves? And it's going to be very interesting. But I think the good news on that side is even though we do look at the public market and say, oh, things are a little shaky here, and the recent IPOs have have overall um, not performed very well, these companies still have a lot of capital, and they have time. They have time Mm -hmm. to figure it out. And there's a reason why folks were investing in these technologies to begin with, because they are compelling technologies that have a a really big market they're going into. And so we're going to see a lot of success here but I think it might take a little bit more time than people were thinking. And the way that they're leveraging themselves into the public market has to change a little bit. And so the real question becomes, do those companies become M&A opportunities or do these companies that are private and have these billion dollar valuations with large amounts of cash, do they end up becoming actually consolidators within the private VC market and looking for ways to expand you know, their technology and their reach by leveraging sort of venture-backed companies that they can buy because they have so much mm-hmm. capital. So it's going to be really interesting to see where things shake out. But I think especially sort of, you know, in the alternative care and the, and the provider operations sectors, um, I think there could be some really interesting sort of consolidation and M&A plays. The thing is, it, it's kind of made me think about when you said this about, you know, the technology company of many decades ago, they have a lot of money and then they start buying things before they even hit the IPO market. Do you feel that it's going it's happening as well in the healthcare side? Yeah, I, I do. And I think I think, you know, in the end, what's what's interesting is is you know, these folks uh, one, you're you have real tailwinds 
that we've seen from the pandemic, especially if you're talking about you know, health tech, because of the idea of virtual care and the idea of wanting to digitize provider operations and, and find ways to get the, the customer more engaged or the client more engaged within the healthcare system. These are all tailwinds, which is great. You do have the headwinds of the public market. And so I think, you know, there's still lots of opportunity there. And you just wonder, you know, I think from my perspective, you do wonder whether there's just too many companies that are all pursuing similar ideas. But I think that's sort of endemic across venture. You know, when things get really exciting and hot, you see a lot of companies jumping in that are that are looking to, you know, apply their technology to big markets. And so and that's not necessarily unusual. But what is unusual is that they have these huge valuations and they have a lot of cash. Because we really haven't seen a lot of private-private type of, of uh, consolidation in venture in quite some time. So it's, I think you're going to see a lot of that in the, in the coming years, especially within health tech. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. Do you think eventually, I'm just thinking about comparing it to technology, you know, in the past there's Google, there's Yahoo, and at the end now there's only Google. And you think that it's happening that way eventually with the healthcare side? Because everybody's trying to, it's a big market. Everybody feel like there's, there's room for everybody. But at the end, people get pushed out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there's also that the idea that the specialists need to branch out and you know the you need to be thinking about broader applications to your technology because that just allows more market opportunity and so i mean i do i do think that it feels like there's a little bit of a pressure out there for for folks that have niche opportunities to be thinking about especially if they have the capacity and the and the capital to do it to branch out um, and become if you sort of think about you know, how Google in the very beginning was so so solely focused on one little thing and how, how much they've branched out uh, to, to be, you know, uh, what they are today. I think it's the same, especially within, within the healthcare side of things. There's so many ways to apply really interesting niche technologies much more broadly. And it feels like we're seeing companies focus on that, where it was like, oh, okay, you're really great at this one little thing. And that's a decent market. But you really have the ability and the capital to push on the accelerator and branch that out because that, in essence, makes you more attractive. And as a big player, you have a better chance to, to win in this, in this world, um, especially in this, in this venture world where, you know, I think if you do think about sort of in, at the end, end game, there's only going to be so many big winners uh, in the health tech space. Within different within the different subsectors, and you you, you know, everyone's trying to to be in those few, um, mm-hmm. and so it's going to be interesting the way it shakes out. Again, yeah, these are all sort of perspectives on what do we think is going to happen, and we're trying to leverage data to figure that out. But 
you know, it's, it's, uh, anybody's guess is at least is valid, but at least we try and put some data around it. Yeah, no, I think that'll be really interesting. Uh, you, you know, I wonder, you know, what, it will be interesting to write down what your prediction and then see how whether that comes true or not. But I, I don't think I do put um, that I do put that at the end of my report. So you know you can look at last year's and see how how wrong and right I've been. And I think it's 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 generally pretty mixed. Um, but uh-huh. you know this year when we did look at at the end of the you know the end of our report, you know I think there were a couple things that we drove on the health tech side, and I think we 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 were predicting massive consolidation. Um, and that, you know, there's going to be a lot of acquisitions for, you know, companies looking to enhance their product offerings, you know, expanding reach to other markets, as well as like Aquahire, you know, because talent is so important there, you know, not mm-hmm. only on, on the, the sort of the, the company talent side, but sort of the staff side when you think about, you know, um, services oriented companies as well. So that's kind of what we're predicting. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, no, that, 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 it's always fun to see when it's right. And it's like, oh, you know, but then you see there's a lot of external factors at play that sometimes you don't know that's going to happen. Um, one of the things I noticed also um, last year when we spoke, uh, we talk, everybody's talking about SPAC a lot. Mm-hmm. And so now is the despacking time. And uh, can you tell us more about where we are on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I wouldn't call it a failed experiment, um, but I will say that you know the, the, the sort of the bloom was off the rose of what we saw in 2020, where everybody was you know raising SPACs. I think some of them have been successful. Uh, there's a lot more that are still looking for targets that haven't found targets yet. And certainly the reception in the in the public market, as well as the ability to actually you know, uh, de-SPAC with, with the shareholders actually, you know, agreeing to this de-SPAC um, has been a challenge. And so most of these companies, if, if it's fallen apart and they haven't gone out, that's one thing. If they have gone out, they've traded down because it kind of feels like there's a lot of discussion around lofty valuations for these, you know, for these de-SPACs. And so they're coming from a position of being a little bit overvalued to get it, to get the deal done. And so, so far it's been, you know, probably less exciting than people had expected. Um, but that being said, you know, SPACs haven't, aren't necessarily, they're not new. Like SPACs have been around for a long time. And really what SPACs were used for, let's say before this, you know, excitement of 2020 was, you know, special op- opportunities where, you know, the company couldn't go public on their own or there was just an interesting story around it, or a little bit of hair, or they just had pivoted from one thing to another, but had a really compelling story and or technology. Those are the ones that were really leveraging SPAC. And so it's, it's I think we haven't seen it um, be as aggressively successful as, as folks thought it would be. And then now you're seeing, you know, in the public market, you're seeing a, a number of companies that have had either poor data on the biopharma side or just uh, either on the health tech or the device side, maybe haven't done very well. And so it's almost like, you know, uh, reverse mergers might become even more interesting now versus a SPAC. Mm-hmm. Because at least you have, 
you have a company, you can work on valuation. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's similar to what a SPAC is, but maybe the, you know, it's not as fee heavy. Um, and so we'll see where things go. Uh, but I think, you know, mm-hmm. SPACs are still around. I still think there's going to be, you know, a number of successful SPACs that happen over the next year as sort of their timing comes up. Um, but I think more often than not, it's going to be, you know, things that actually, you know, the dog just, you know, is not hunting and it's not, it's <laughs> going to go away. You think it's going to go away or you think, it, I think it's just going, it's just going to taper down and then find its st- uh, sweet spot? Yeah. So some of the SPACs just aren't going to be able to find targets and those kind of go away. And then, you know, I, I do think that you'll still see SPACs. You'll ne- I don't think you'll see in the foreseeable future that the activity level that we saw in SPAC creation over the, over the mm-hmm. past few years, it's going to be one off and it's going to mm-hmm. be sort of really these, these, you know, special purpose, you know, sort of things versus, you know, everybody doing one, it's almost, you know, it loses its specialness in a sense. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, I, so, so that's kind of how I, how I see it down the road. And I think, you know, we're, we're definitely going to see SPACs happen, but at a way reduced rate. And we're going to see more of the reverse merger discussion happening, especially as we get later into 2022, into 2023, especially if we, we continue to see the stock market sort of be, yeah, in the doldrums. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, when I used to be in investment banking world, we always laugh, well, joke about, you know, we do advising the merger and advising the the, the de merger, so the banking always wins. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So we always like, oh, you know, it's just that's we we play, uh, of, you know, as you know, banking always being paid by transaction. Um, right. One of the things uh, that you mentioned on the report, uh, the device side, and when everybody's IPO is going down, like poor performance, and actually you see pretty good performance for the device side. Yeah, I think we did, and and if you had to, if you looked at the different sectors that are out there over the last four years. Actually, the device IPOs perform better than any other sector. Um, but, you know, it would be great to say that they've been able to withstand the, you know, the downturn in the market that everybody else is a part of, but they haven't. But they, they still have done well. I think the trick is on the device side, unfortunately, is that, you know, I think the push is going to be making sure these companies have significant revenue and 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 a, and a compelling story maybe above where even that mark was over the last few years so it's yeah you know, the I think the IPO market continues to be available for a device but the bar has been raised on that in terms of of revenue and growth story as well as as well as the underlying you know uh, uh, uniqueness of the product and so it's going to be interesting to see how many device IPOs actually uh, get out the door. Um, it, it's unfortunate that that's, that's happened, but I would say on the same side, we've never seen as much M&A as we've seen in device over the last year. Mm-hmm. And, and the M&A has been really diverse from, you know, you have your usual folks like the Bostons and the Medtronics and the Strikers, et cetera, but you're seeing a lot of these mid-cap companies, small to mid-cap companies that went public over the last five years that started to acquire venture-backed device companies. And then you saw, I think there were three different transactions that had China-based companies acquire U.S. uh, venture-backed companies. 
And then you're seeing some other sort of spin outs within um, the broader healthcare space into companies that are a little bit more focused on the device side. And then those folks have been acquisitive as well. So I think even though you're probably going to see uh, a pullback in the device IPOs, the M&A side really feels like it's never been more robust in terms of the number of acquirers. But I think you know the double-edged sword of the tougher parts of the market pulling back on the IPO side may mean that you know the, the big folks, as well as the small to mid-cap companies, might become a little bit more, uh, maybe they're playing the waiting game for these companies and making them get more and more uh, to being actually accretive to the bottom line. Because all those folks that are in the public market have have had to deal with valuation push uh, in a negative sense, just because of the broader market mm-hmm. implication. So even though there's more acquirers out there, I'm cautiously optimistic we're going to have a good amount of M&A. But I do think that these folks have to think internally. And, and I think that the troubling or the, not the troubling, but the more difficult part of being a, a device uh, public company versus biopharma. Biopharma, you know, your shareholders want you to acquire super early stage assets because that's how you refill your pipeline. Mm-hmm. On the device side, it feels like there's a lot more EPS focus. And it's like they want these, they want you to, you know, defend the areas that you're doing well in and they want you to branch out into new areas, but they want it to be, you know, as accretive to the bottom line as possible. And so, you know, there's a push there for these companies that even if you're a PMA with a really interesting technology, it's harder to get to an exit because, you know, folks in the end don't want to buy the company and then have to pay for the, the finishing of the pivotal trial and then the FDA submission and then, and then the revenue ramp. You know, in a perfect world, they want to grab companies that are already in revenue. So it's a little bit, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a more difficult uh, endeavor for the device companies, but it's very interesting on, you know, you sort of, one, you know, obviously that, uh, as I mentioned before, the IPOs have performed pretty well in the device market. But if I look at dollars invested versus exits in the different healthcare sectors, device ends up being towards the top, but very, very consistent at around a two, two and a half X in terms of exit value to dollars invested over the last four years. And I know that's sort of not an apples to apples comparison because the dollars invested are not the ones that are coming out in the exit, but it's kind of, you know, you are looking at sort of a flow of capital. And if you look at the flow of capital, a lot of the other sectors are very uneven, but device seems very consistent. So I like the fact that one, even though you're seeing records in device, it's not six times as big as it was three years ago. Yeah, you know, you're seeing you know, 15, 20% growth in terms of dollars invested on the device side uh, versus doubling. But you're also seeing uh, an increase in these IPOs and now an increase in M&A last year. So I, I like where device is, um, and, but I, I'm, I'm sort of cautious about what's going to happen for acquirers. And are they going to sit on their hands? Are they going to be worried more about you know, figuring out a way of of dealing with the pandemic and their valuation in their in their overall market cap versus looking to acquire new technologies. It's going to be interesting to see. I think I think we're still going to be okay. I just as excited as I was at the mm-hmm. end of 2021 looking at through the first quarter of 2022 and where the market's gone, I'm less uh, excited about 
you know, seeing an actual increase in M&A for device. Mm, okay. Well, that's, um, that's unfortunate <laughs> um, for, uh, but I think a lot of the device knows the uphill battle that, you know, when they go in, it's always, you know, uphill battle. Um, so what do you think about what's going to happen the rest of 2022 for the health tech and the device even? Yeah. So what's interesting is, you know, I, I think everyone was anticipating a slower investment cycle in 2022 as you sort of came off of a tougher IPO market, et cetera. Um, and, and then you know, obviously some macroeconomic things in the, in the, in the world that maybe people would slow down their pace. And I think they have a little bit, but that pace, just to put it in context, in both device and in, in uh, health tech, the pace of investment in Q1 was very close to the pace that we saw in 2021. And just as a reminder, obviously 2021 was the biggest record investment pace ever. And so mm-hmm. it's somewhere shy of that, but ahead of 2020, which was the second best record uh, investment pace ever. So we see a lot of investment. It continues. And it doesn't really surprise me because a lot of folks are investing with newly closed venture funds. And these mm-hmm. venture funds, I mean, you have a certain amount of time to make new investments in portfolio, and then you're supporting those companies over time. So you may not be investing maybe as quick as you were in 2021 or 2020, excuse me, but you still have to make investments. So we are seeing that. Um, what's interesting to me is if I, so both device and health tech look pretty strong in terms of investment numbers. Um, I also look at valuations because that's really the other part of the equation. When you think about, oh, it's great to see, oh, investments are happening, but isn't there valuation push because all these public companies or IPOs that went out over the last couple of years are trading down, you know, fairly significantly in some cases. And how does that, you know, what's the lag between seeing the, the public market not perform as well as it has and seeing that affect valuations? And I think we're seeing it affect valuations a little bit quicker in device than in health tech. And I was looking at the Q1 activity in health tech, I was looking at the companies that raised in 2020 um, and 2019 that financed again in the first quarter of 2021. And I was looking at what's the step up in valuation for what they were valued at that last financing and what the pre-money valuation was of those deals. And actually in health tech, it actually seemed to even go higher. And so I'll, in, in PitchBook, they only have, let's say, about 8 to 10% of the overall deals that actually have valuations associated with it. But if you look at those numbers, the, the median step up for health tech was around 3x from in terms of valuation uptick. That's a huge upswing in valuation. So I was really surprised to see that. And it's not what I was expecting. Um, I think on the device side, it was a little bit, it was a little bit lower where you actually saw you know, more of, um, I think it was around, around 1.3x. And you actually had a couple down rounds in those deals. But in health tech, it just seemed like it was continuing to go up and to the right with a lot of really high valued uh, financings happening. And what was interesting is you were also seeing, you know, the folks that were a part of those uh, investments of the last few years, like the SoftBanks and the Tiger Globals and even Mubadala, the fo- those folks continue to be active. They all did multiple deals in Q1. 
Um, so I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where, where things go. But the step ups in health tech is really interesting. I'm not sure if, if there's a lag there or where things are going to go. But if you just look at the numbers, it looks like people are still super excited about that scenario, those, those companies mm-hmm. and they're continuing to ascribe value, even in cases where these companies are very early revenue or even no revenue. Wow, that's uh, that's remained to be seen to see whether that will hold. Um, hopefully, it it does hold because that I think that would be good for a lot of the entrepreneurs. Um, yes. But I know I can talk a lot, a long time with you, and I know I mean we're short of time, but I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us your insight, what you learned from twenty twenty one, and your uh, your thought about twenty twenty two, and it looks like things are moving not so bad, even though the market is crashing left and right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing I'll maybe end with is that, you know, while you might see what we call sort of the opportunistic investors coming in and going out of the market in healthcare, the I come back to my chart of looking at traditional venture investors on the healthcare side and the funds that they've raised over the last couple of years, that is a lot of capital in the market. So entrepreneurs that might be fearful that, you know, investors aren't going to invest, that's, it's not true because they have the capital and they have to invest it. So for the next couple of years, even if the public market is difficult, those folks have a thesis that says that I need to invest into new companies over the next three years. And so they're going to continue to invest. So, mm-hmm. you know, we got to take it with a grain of salt, what's going on in the public market and know that things are cyclical. But it's great to see that there's a lot of dedicated traditional venture capital out there that while folks who come in and out of the market might decide to go out, the venture investors are there. And that's their thesis. So um, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about where things are going to go. You know, there's going to be valuation pressures. But in the end, great companies will continue to get funded. And that's, I mean, firmly believe that. And early stage Series A companies will continue to get funded because that's how you know, these investors differentiate themselves from their from the LPs that are investing in their funds by getting involved with really cool Series A mm-hmm. and seed companies and getting that ownership because that's that's really important to them. So I don't see much of a downturn in Series A or overall in the investment sector. It's going to be another you know, pretty good year. Well, that's great. Well, that's a good way to end the podcast. Great. It's always great to talk with you, Christine. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming back. We'll have you back again next year. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.